0: Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. And I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image.
1: There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it.
0: In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy, Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on Fantastic Universes. He's one of them, like, you ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Available on all your favourite podcast catchers,
1: series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. The hope here is that we can do a deep dive on an indie comic you may have missed or give you a chance to talk about one of your favorites with us on social media after. I've been reading comics since I was 12, and while I love a good superhero battle, I gravitate towards indie comics and standalone graphic novels because they give artists a chance to connect with readers in different ways and tell stories they may not have been able to tell with traditional comics or traditional novels. I hope that you enjoyed the show. Well, welcome back for his fourth show. My Mark, Whis- Mark Russell Whisperer himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Mike Burton, friend, welcome back.
0: Hello, thank you for having me. I don't know if I'm the Mark Russell Whisperer. You're the one who managed to convince him to go on your show. Wasn't I'm that just- crazy? I- it that- was so cool. It was
1: <laughs> cool. so. He's amazing. such a nice guy. Yeah, and he follows really-
0: us both on Twitter now, which is like I need a claim to fame as like I spoke to Claudia Gray and Mark Russell on podcast. I mean, that's
1: pretty- what? and you did the guy whose name I can never remember, Labyrinth guy.
0: Oh yes, uh, Michael McCormick. Yeah, that yeah, was that, cool as hell. Oh, that was so cool. I wish I could meet that guy and just shake his hand and say thank you. But he seemed so appreciative that I spoke with him.
1: Yeah, he did. You know, that's the cool thing about stuff like this. It's like we we get starstruck a little and we're just like, oh, you know, these people are. But they're just like, we we appreciate that you're reading our art. You're, you're watching our thing. You wanted us to nerd out and talk about our stuff, you know. I think it's it's kind of like the difference, and you'll get this reference as well, most of the listeners, but you in particular. It's like the way that Mark Hamill loved being in Star Wars, and Harrison Ford hated it. It's like that. <laughs> I think that there are people who just want to be fun and creative and be, and they appreciate that you like their art. And then mm-hmm. there's people who are like, leave me alone, kid, you know. And they they don't want. That was want a any... good one. Was that <laughs> that a... was a good impression. I yeah, like that. They, thank you. So, <laughs> Yeah, you know, they're not interested in in that. And, you know, I'm actually, that was my Mark Hamill doing Harrison Ford because I don't know if you've ever heard him do Harrison Ford. No, I haven't. It's unbelievable. Like he was telling, he was on Colbert and he was telling a story about that. And he switched into Harrison Ford voice and Colbert just started laughing hysterically because he's met him. And apparently interviewing him is really hard because he doesn't ever want to be anywhere. It's like, he's got to go promote the movie he's in and he's bugged. It's like, so just don't do it.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things where she's like Mark Hamill, like you see him on Twitter and that sort of thing and he just seems like so much fun Yeah, and he just wants to do all these things and he's like the Joker voice from so many things and then oh, people yeah. ask him and they're like, can you do a joke thing? And he's like, uh, how could you ask me that? And then he does it immediately after, like as a joke and he's just constantly like having a laugh when people ask him to take photos and things. He always pulls stupid faces in that. and that. Yeah. Harrison Ford's like, how Much money are you going to pay me for this? How long right. is it going to take me? It's like my time is valuable. Whereas Mark Campbell's like, I'm just thrilled to be a part of this.
1: Yeah, he was it like three years ago? It was pre COVID. He went to San Diego Comic Con in a Luke Skywalker mask and walked around all day in a Luke Skywalker mask. Like, so it was just him in a Luke Skywalker mask wandering around Comic Con so nobody knew it was him.
0: Oh my god, that's so cool! Like, so meta. What is so amazing is if he was actually meant to be there, like at a panel, and then, out, like right at the very end of the day, and then he walked on stage, and was like, "Oh, by the way, guys, hello, you over hello. there at that stand, you serve me, you over there." <laughs> that, yeah, that's the, what I want to say. Is like I don't think I'm ever going to be famous. I mean, maybe if I do podcasting for another twenty years, maybe, um, but I would just love to be the level of famous where. I wouldn't want to be Johnny Depp famous or anything like that I don't want to go outside and have people swarm me that's too much I always describe it as like a singer of a metal band famous where it's like you go to the right places and people recognize you and they're really happy that you're there and you can make money off being famous and like when you release a book you already get tens of thousands of people going to buy it from the get-go but I can still just go to the nearby shop and no one even notices me that's the kind of fame i would want just let me have an audience that i can shine a light on people and then if they've got cool stuff they just immediately get like thousands of people buying that stuff while i also can just get like you know you get uh, like the, whenever the nerds get famous it's one of my favorite things is like you you get them where they're like oh yeah well since i've been like the singer of slipknot's the main example i use Corey taylor because he's now famous enough whenever he wants to go to like maybe not a film premiere, but like he can meet just famous people he wants to, because they just have connections. And like this sure. is the podcaster. He's like a big, he just gets all these amazing people on his show because he either has mutual friends with them or he knows them from being a famous musician. It's like, I want that level of fame. I don't want yeah. paparazzi or anything like that. I just want to, be, I want to be friends with loads of cool famous people. That's <laughs> it. That's, is that so much to ask? <laughs> I
1: don't know. I mean, I don't know that it is so much. I think, I think we're in the world, you are of the right age where that is completely possible. For you, I believe, Hopefully. and because cool. you are, you've made enough. Because you have interviewed Claudia Gray, and and you've you know, you've, you've put your, fa- and you're friends with some musicians. And so you never know where that's going to go. And mm. a couple of them are really super talented. Um, you know, yeah. I've listened to their stuff. So you never know how that's going to go. That's so the hope. It, it could work. <laughs> that's
0: right? what I always say to any of my musician friends, I always say to them, it's like, look, if you ever get famous, okay, please just let me interview you. Like, let me be, as the singer Post Malone, he is a friend who has a YouTube channel called H3H3. He was already fairly YouTube famous anyway, but like he just, they just hang out together all the time. And it's just like, right, you go over there and get famous. And then I can be a little Parasite and just dip in and out. You can share all my stuff. And then I get secondhand fame off you without all the bullshit. Like that's what all I'm... the bullshit.
1: Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's part of the why the Beatles quit touring is because George hated it and he hated the people. But there was also like one show they played, and his his um amp was unplugged the whole show. Like, and nobody he knew, but they didn't fix it. None of the fans knew that they because they weren't there, they were just screaming. You know, you see those old Beatle concerts where they're just screaming. So that seems like too much. I'm not interested in that. I mean, I'm not like the books that I'm, I'm almost done with my next novel. I've been working my ass up on it. And uh, um, like, you know, I'm not published. It's AR Farina. It's my name, but you know, it's like, I'm still going to be Tony Farina here. And my students call me, t- you know, it's like just enough different that it's like Dave and I were just talking about fame the other day. And it's a weird thing. It's like, what, how much do you want? And I'm like, I don't know that I really like, I want my books to sell. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want. Um, so I guess there has to be some level of name recognition for your books to sell. People have to know. But with a writer, Lee and I have already talked that, um, like my book, like how they, you know, they always put your picture in the back of a book. <laughs> that's just going to be this.
0: <laughs> or you with a Luke Skywalker mask.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I could just wear the Luke Skywalker That's actually better. That's what I'm going to do. I'll just put on my Luke. I have a Batman mask here somewhere, so. Anyway,
0: just upload the done. photo that the the painting. You
1: know the painting. Yeah, as yeah. you know, Robin, just use that. Then it's like that's a great what, point. Enough. That's Sam Lati done. Yeah, the black going to be my picture for now, and that's me because I've got the domino mask, so no one can recognize me. Like I said, when we when I saw that painting, it's like so obviously all of us, like even Steve and the Batman. You're like, that's clearly Steve. So then you're like, again, how stupid is everybody in Gotham? <laughs> exactly, because it's was- like Bruce Wayne is one of the most famous people in Gotham. And, 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 you know, we, we know Steve and we see that picture and you're like, that's clearly Steve in a Batman mask, you know? Yeah, so it's exactly. like anybody who's ever met Bruce Wayne or seen him, they'd be like, well, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Look,
0: Well, it's like if there was a superhero and his special talent was having an encyclopedic knowledge of all comic books, then we'd immediately be like, well, that's Steve. And it's like, well, in Gotham City, it's like there's only like three rich families in the whole of Gotham. And one of them is just this random guy who only shows up random things. And he's a serial philanthropist. Oh, and there's this other one who's a serial violent philanthropist in some ways. Instead of giving money to the poor, he beats up, you know, thugs and things and protects them. It's like that clear like how <laughs> you know when you watch daredevil it's like that makes more sense it, to sure. be like oh he's a blind guy people wouldn't think a blind guy has of course because he out. even has mask.
1: yeah he's yeah. got yeah. eye holes. that's head. so yeah. genius
0: that works so well and obviously spider-man is just like they think you not possibly be this kid and he's got a mm-hmm. mask on but it is it's not like voices like with me now even like if i was spider-man which obviously i'm linking because you are like, now yeah yeah, i am now and what is funny because when i show my friends they said they got your smile perfectly they were like they were like that's exactly what your smile is like and I was like I don't know because all my any photos of me I do a specific smirk because I can't if I smile on command I always compare it to Terminator 2 uh when when he asks Arnie to smile and it's that weird like yeah was mm, like okay don't do that again that's what I'm like if I open mouth smile when I'm <laughs> like not naturally so nice fun times. Flintstones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there we go. Flintstones. This all ties together to Flintstones. So another excellent artist on Flintstones, Steve Pugh. I'm a big Steve Pugh fan, and we'll obviously talk about him. So we're here to talk about volume one of DC Comics, sort of. So it's Indie Comics Spotlight, obviously. But what happened was um, Hanna-Barbera um, did their own line. So, it's, so I've done Vertigo. I've done Hill House. Now I'm doing the Hanna-Barbera line. So they're They're not in the DC universe proper. They're owned by DC. I did Jinx world too, actually. Oh no, I want to do Jinx world. Never mind. I didn't do that. I wanted to, but I don't have to do that. (laughs) Coming soon as a hidden gem. Um, But there, I did a minx line comic with uh, Cecil. The plain James was technically part of DC. So DC is smart, right? They spin things off and they've got these little indie lines where they can get away with stuff. So like this would never get to live in the DC universe. So they like, spin it off so it's like hardcore and bizarre and whatever and you know batman doesn't show up i I was gonna ask
0: about that literally my first thing i literally wrote was just why dc i was like i don't i can't make the connection i was just like did they just i I assume it was a warner brothers
1: situation
0: well i was thinking like yeah that makes sense because i was thinking like, it's probably like a a marvel star wars thing where it's just like you know dark it was marvel first then dark horse and then when disney bought Uh, you know, Star Wars and stuff. They were like, well, we already own Marvel who have publishing, so we might as well just synergize it. And it's like, you know, Star Wars isn't in the Marvel, the Star Wars comics aren't in the Marvel universe, but they're published by Marvel. So it's one of those things. I was like, but I didn't know if there's some sort of weird crossover like Flintstones Batman or something. There is, they
1: did do, so after they bought the Hanna-Barbera books, they did do some of those. So it's like um, Porky Pig and Lex Luthor, which Mark Russell wrote, which is pretty funny. Um, so they did do some of those Space Ghosts in Green Lantern. So, but, but those were like specific crossovers. So I'm guessing, bad podcast host, is that Hanna-Barbera is owned by Warner Brothers. And DC mm-hmm. is also owned by Warner Brothers. So it's like, we've got these things. We might as well use them. Um, and so they put out this Hanna-Barbera line. So Scooby-Doo is part of it. And they did Scooby-Doo Apocalypse, which was brilliant. It was so funny. It was Scooby-Doo versus zombies. So it's the, oh it, so they redo the entire origin of the Scooby gang. Um, and you learn that it's like Velma's parents are the ones who, who her Velma's family are the ones who unleashed the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> it was so good. Um, and that was really smart. And they did Wacky Raceland, which was the Wacky Racers, where they took all the Hanna-Barbera characters. I the Wacky
0: Races. There used to be that and Catching the Pigeon. I used to. Okay, look at
1: all right. So you point. know Wacky Races. So they did a like a grown-up version of it's called Wacky Raceland. It was twelve issues. That was genius. And then they did this. They did a few other ones where they just took these old Hanna Barbera properties and adulted them. And then they then they did like a mashup one called Future Quest, which had Johnny Quest in it and a, a bunch of the other characters. So, so that's my guess is just that it's all a Warner Brothers thing. You're like. Warner mm. Brothers, we don't know what we're doing. We own these things. <laughs> let's make some money. And let's just try mash them
0: together. Let's just yeah. say, right, let's just say we're going to release one thousand things, and then we'll release hundred,
1: and half of them won't be good. And it's like that's that's that Warner is, Brothers. That's that how they've been that, dealing with um, DC this whole time. That unfortunately is the Warner Brothers model, and it's like. But we know that if we can put Batman on the cover, we'll sell more. Like that is that is the you know Matt and I've talked about this, and Matt mentions it a lot. You know the the over oversaturation of Batman and Harley Quinn, and it's like. You know, the reason that you love these things, the reason you like the Joker as a baddie is because he's not he's not in every issue. It's once a year or once every two years, Joker shows up and you're like, oh, shit, as opposed to just like, yeah. So you're right. So this was one of the good things they did. These didn't sell very well. They're not doing the Hanna-Barbera line. The Scooby-Doo and Apocalypse Scooby-Doo ran the longest. There is still a Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? comic that runs, and they they did a crossover with Batman '66.
0: Okay, that sounds quite so,
1: cool. Because there was like a comic book or a cartoon of Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Robin. Scooby-Doo cartoons used to do where Scooby-Doo would have like Scooby-Doo meets the Harlem Globetrotters or Scooby-Doo well, meets Don Dots.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a couple of those funny ones. I know that uh, this isn't the same thing, but I know that there's a South Park episode, and it's literally just the band Corn, who are a new metal band who I love. Yeah, I know Corn. Sure. Yeah, the whole episode is is of South Park is just a Scooby Doo episode, but all the members of Corn voicing themselves doing Scooby Doo stuff. I know it's not the yeah. same, but it just made me think of that. I was just like,
1: yeah, yeah, that's totally what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, we're Absolutely. creative
0: people. Sometimes are just like, let's just do this for fun. It's like,
1: yeah, some yeah. of the cool. Well, ups- that's all South Park is. Is that morning they wake up. They <laughs> yeah. those each week, right? Those I are, know, I love it. Yeah. you've seen so the little really like, What's bugging us? this week yeah that documentary six days to air that's good yeah, yeah that was that's it. good yeah so Flintstones <laughs> we're gonna get there I promise so my first question for you though sir Mr. Burton which you don't like being called is um I'm sure that happens to you at work though because you're an important guy like people don't know you're people call you customers must call you and do they do they call you Mike or do they say well Mr. Burton can you help me well, the funny thing is, my email start
0: is Michael, uh, and then oh. my email, but my signature is Mike because when I started, they just set up the email like Michael Burton, and it's like mm-hmm. I, I, no one calls me Michael really at all. Um, so I'm like, it's Mike. But when people say Mister Burton, it's like. I don't... Like, I feel like an adult in so much as I'm capable of doing adult things. Adult things. Yeah, but I'm like 27. It's like, am I I really a Mr. Burton type? I I feel like whenever I watch TV shows or things, and you know you've got those... You know you know someone's a bad character, like a bad person, when someone doesn't say sir after it, and they don't... Sorry, what did you say? Oh, sorry, sir. I'm like... uh, like that sort of thing makes me sick and I'm just like if I ever got in a position of power like I would never be a CEO of a company can't be asked that but like if I ever got that powerful I would never want anyone calling me Mr. Bert I'd be like dude I'm Mike okay just call me Mike yep I make yep. X- El X- Dutorino X-
1: the dude El yeah, the Duderino. Duderino. Yeah, right. <laughs> give
0: right. me a white Russian and, and right, let me come right. in, like pajamas and stuff and call me Mike <laughs> you'd
1: have but a whole does. speech that'd be great that'd be perfect Uh plus you've got two older brothers so that's gotta be you know they're yeah, also well, Mr. Bert you're like I can't be the youngest and be a Mr. Burton. Yeah. That
0: that doesn't, it doesn't fit with me. I mean, neither of my other brothers. I mean, I'm probably the most professional (laughs) of, of my brothers. That's a quite telling of what they're like. They're great guys, but it is just like, if the three of us are together, I'm the grounded normal one. Like I'm the, I'm the one who's the least like, Talkative and extroverted, and that sort of thing. Like, I'm I'm the calm one of those guys. I know it is. (laughs) I've got a certain influence from them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's quite the uh, code switch there. That's awesome. All right. So, what is your, Mike Burton, what is your relationship with the Flintstones? What do you know? Like, how do the Flintstones play? In the UK and keep in mind you are the voice for everyone in Britain now okay You're, that's fine whatever 16, you say is 60 the case million people. For everyone in Britain and how let's, they know of the Flintstones
0: let's do it let's do it yeah. 60 million people I am the spokesman of the UK at the moment and I'm gonna say Flint is quite popular um oh, cool. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where like American obviously it's American car American cartoons come over here a lot N- nowadays American sitcoms because of Netflix that sort of jazz it all kind of comes over Parks and Rec the Office those sort of things but American cartoons have always come over here um, there's there's one or two random ones. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's a couple of American cartoons that just seemingly didn't come over here back in the sort of, you know, 80s, 90s. I think Flintstones uh, predate that by a lot. Oh, yeah, they do. But yeah. They're like 60s or something,
1: if mm-hmm. I'm right. Yeah, they were prime time. This is a regular sitcom. So yeah. This was on at night. Yeah, it was the first, like, like The Simpsons. They broke the ground for The Simpsons. Mm, I see, mm-hmm. I see.
0: Yeah, so I've seen, like, at, when I was younger, I used to watch a bit of, Simps- a bit of uh, Flintstones. I used to watch Simpsons as well, but uh, Flintstones, it was all... Because we had the TV channels, you know, you've in England it used to have th- two TV channels, then three, then four, then five. Unsurprisingly, and then around after five came, which I think was in the nineties or early two thousands. I think it's nineties. Then you got Sky and all that sort of stuff, which is basically cable uh, for Americans. And I remember we had some kids' channels, so we like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, and that sort of things when I was younger. But even before those uh, additional channels existed, Flintstones and oh, what's the one? Um, What's the purple uh, Top Cat? Top Cat was yeah, yeah, yeah. that was
1: part of this. Yep, exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Hanna Barbera stuff, and Wacky Races was the big one for me. It was normally you know early morning cartoons uh, or after school cartoons, and Flintstones and Wacky Races and all that sort of jazz. They were all uh, they were played together a lot. So I don't think I know anyone who's my age who wouldn't know. Flintstones are wacky races. Like that's catch the pigeons a little bit more niche, but that's like a spin-off of wacky races and stuff. Yeah. But it's like everyone knows who Mutley is. Like that's a if you do a laugh and it sounds like Mutley, everyone in the UK knows that. So they are maybe not quite as big over here, but everyone knows who they are. And when you obviously I said to you, I want to go on the quest and I want to read every indie. Mark Russell comic because I just mm-hmm. think Second Coming is just one of the greatest things ever written. Um, just genius. And then Billionaire Island is brilliant. It didn't hit the right mark for me in the same way but you know, I'm really interested in religion and stuff. So Billionaire Island was incredible as well. Um, and then... We did Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger. That was that was the weakest one for me but that's because Lone Ranger over here is barely... I don't have anything to compare it to. Right. And when I saw Flintstones I was like, well, I'll, because it's Mark Russell I have faith. I read the first two and I was like, this is all right. I can, you know, it's not bad. And then I got to the fourth issue. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, as soon as I finished the four, well, I read like three pages in and I was like, okay. And I went back and read after finishing issue six, I went back and read the first three issues again. And I was like, they've set the groundwork for things you don't realise until later on. And then when you go back and read it, it makes it better. So I'd call... It's almost one of those things where I wouldn't necessarily recommend people do this, but it's almost like people should almost start at issue four and finish at issue three. Because I just think the reason this probably didn't sell well is in my view because it was like, well, I would never in a million years have chosen this, bluntly. Like, because Mark Russell's attached... I, I, I'm happy to, and I have faith. But if I wasn't doing the show with you, if someone said, "Hey, there's a there's a new Flintstones comic that's really good," would you want to read it? I'd be like, "No," like just bluntly, because right. when I was when I was younger, Flintstones was good, but I never, I was never so into Flintstones. Was like, yes, I need all the Flintstones. It was just like, yeah, this is a fun silly cartoon. There's yeah. a lot of like clevery things. But when I was like a kid, a lot of the the clever on the nose stuff, you you it just goes over your head. You know, when you don't understand how the world works, seeing a Modern day view on the stone age and how that worked, the amount of clever things you can add into that, which is all in this comic. When you're a kid, you, you don't get that. That's why, you know, if you're under the age of normally like 15 watching South Park, you're like, Yeah, I want to watch it. And then you watch it, like, I, I don't get it, it's <laughs> just like just swearing. And I just, it's not that fun. And then you become yeah. a dog, and you're like, I hate South Park. It's like, No, <laughs> understand the world, you understand South Park. Yeah, um, be yeah, as a kid, I didn't, I didn't mind, for instance, I I'd, really, I have so little feelings towards it it's just like flintstones is a thing and i don't mind it you know if i had a kid one day and they're really into flintstones i'd be like yeah i don't mind watching the cartoons but it would never be my first choice i've interested you watch much flintstones when you were a kid and things
1: i did so for me so they were out before i was you know so they started as a primetime show in the 60s and then they just were always on they got moved to saturday morning cartoons so for us it was three channels, but then, um, then we moved, you know, up, but I grew up near Chicago in Southwest Michigan, like across the lake. And so we would get um, uh, Chicago has independent channels. So I've talked about this before, WGN is still there and they would play like weird shit late at night. That's how I saw rock and roll high school. And that's how I saw just like some of the most amazing things on WGN, Twilight Zone episodes. And um, I love that channel. And there was another one, um, channel 32 is just what it was called. and It was just some independent channel. And that was big cities in America would do that. They would have independent TV channels that weren't affiliated with anything. So in this country, that's actually how Xena, Next Generation, and Hercules, those weren't owned by anybody. Those were all independent shows. So they were just made, like Xena was made, and it wasn't on at night. It was just on like syndication, they called it. So WGN was part of this. So, So shows go into syndication here, and they can be anywhere. So the Flintstones, because after it became... And, and after they took it out of primetime and they put it on weekday or for a daytime cartoon, they made a shit ton more. And then it was part of the Hanna-Barbera thing. So it was syndicated. So it was everywhere. Like you could catch Flintstones on a regular network on your NBC affiliate, but you could also catch it on this independent network or here or whatever. Just whoever could pay for it would get it. And then um, so that actually kind of started the idea of you know how these other syndicated shows started pre-cable. Next Generation, Xena um, and, and Hercules are the three everybody knows. They weren't on any networks. It was just they made the show, and if you're local, independent, or if you're the affiliate, the CBS affiliate in you know, South Bend, Indiana, you want to show it, show Star Trek The Next Generation on Sunday afternoon at 3, you would. And that's just how it was. Wow. I wasn't it was crazy aware Yeah, that. Yeah, that's be- how, so there was no cable then.
0: Because the only thing we have here, um, obviously now with Sky, there's like a billion- Everything's channels. different, yeah. Yeah, but like, I remember uh, from my youth, um, when there were just limited channels, it yeah. was- i don't there was the only thing that would change would be the news because whenever the news would come on it would be you know south today which is the south of england and then you'd get the further up north you go the the news specific things would change now there's like a specific south bbc like when you when you do bbc now it is bbc where i am it's bbc one south so everything is basically the same but i think it's just when those news episode when the news airs they just tweak it per region but to my knowledge, I might be wrong here. I'm, you know, shouldn't be because I'm speaking for the whole of the UK. Oh, I mean, everybody. I'm pretty yeah. certain. Yeah, I'm pretty certain there were no specific channels. Like for a long time, there were just three channels, and two of nice. them were BBC. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah, that's really interesting. It's probably part of the reason why Flintstones and certain other stuff came over here so easily because obviously one of the biggest reasons that shows, uh, especially years ago. Uh, wouldn't catch on was because they wouldn't have the capital to be able to say, right, well, we need to pay for the license to distribute it over here. Whereas right. if no one was being all grabby with the money and everyone was being a bit more loose with it, then they're probably a bit more free to do what they want. Right. I think cartoons, you know, cartoons, with
1: cartoons, are- they were considered low brow. Yeah, exactly. Even those Flintstones true. was like way smart. Even, and it's funny how you described it because the original, you can look at the, at the original Flintstones as kind of like silly, but But what Mark Russell, I think, does is he understands is that it, while it was looking to be silly, it was still a commentary on its own modern time. And so if he's going to update it, you can look at Mark Russell's, especially the way that Steve Pugh draws them as like Mm. these like photorealistic muscle, like muscles on muscles on muscles. There's one of the scenes in here where Mr. Slate, who in the cartoon is just like this spindly little You know, like air quote nerd guy, but he's all jacked in this too, right? Because he's a fucking caveman. Of course he would be like, we're seeing them move to civilization in this. And so, of course, they're all these monster beefy things. And in the cartoons, just for simplicity, they were just drawn as like kind of ovals with feet. So, but it's, you know, but it was still the social commentary on trying to live a modern life was there. And so, I think it was really smart. I could see in 20 years doing this again you know using the flintstones as the as the lens to look at yourself and it gives you freedom to say well that's he's making fun of something that's not me and to just distance yourself from it but, but when you look at it and you're like oh no this is a so commentary on right now it can be uh, you know hundreds of thousands of years in the past but it's clearly about right now and um it's so smart
0: well that's the, that's the thing there's even a line in here at one point where they say he meant, he self-references and says, oh, how do you get people to... How do you get to say what you want without getting in trouble? And he says something like, oh, do it with animals or cartoon characters. Right. It's just... And that's obviously... Because it is one of those things where, you know, Mark Russell, especially Second Coming, there's a fair amount of controversy because, you know, people get offended by things and that's life. Um, but it's like, when doing it with this lens, as you say, you can basically get... It's kind of how South Park do it, in a way, where you can do it in a, in a way where South Park is less subtle, especially now it's got the reputation. But with this, it's just like, oh, we can do all these things about pointing out like the marriage episode, the marriage issue is just the best. It's the like, best one. It's my favorite do one. All these things that were just so clever. But if you just had a modern comic, then all that would happen is a lot of people who understood it and weren't offended will go, this is just life, isn't it? And then all the people who got offended will go, they're ruining blah, blah, blah. And you just get mm-hmm. these two people where it'd be like, either this is boring or this is offending me. Whereas what they've done here or what Mark has done here and Steve is that it's clever because people like us, we will see how clever it is, how they've gone about doing all these things, and appreciate the brilliance. And anyone who would get offended by these sort of things, which I won't comment on the kind of people who get offended by these, but I probably wouldn't get along with them very well. No, They got offended by these things. They can't make too much of a racket because you've got that back. Of going. This is just this is just a joke, isn't it? It's just Flintstones. Don't, don't need to worry about it. And if you make too much of a fuss about something that's so not in the in modern time, you can get away, you kind of pivot, can't you? You can just sidestep, you know? So the the genius of not only the writing itself, but also in the way of its writing, it's, defend, it's kind of got itself defended just in case there's any degree of controversy, to, to a degree, obviously.
1: No, absolutely. No, totally true. Everything you say is totally true. And and I know we're only doing the first volume, but there's 12 issues of this. And and, mm. and I I agree with you that issue four is my favorite too, so we'll spend a little time on that. I talked to Mark about this when I was reviewing it for DC comics news. We just did a, not a talk interview, but like it just written. His favorite one is actually the Gazoo one, which is funny because the the alien one.
0: Oh yes. In, yes, the, yes.
1: In, in the original series, I never cared for Gazoo. I always felt like he was there to, when, when it was on Sunday, Saturday mornings, it was way too kid friendly. But again, I was too I young. Forgot, to,
0: I forgot there was even an alien in it.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Gazoo, oh, he was real. Yeah. He was really in the, in the show. And, yeah. um, but, but hearing Mark say why he liked it, and again, like you said, when I read them all because I reviewed this whole series, so I read them as they came out. So I was reading these in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I agree with you that 4 through 12 is where the, is where the story is. But without mm-hmm. 1, 2, and 3, it doesn't work because Gazoo comes back in later. And so you need it. And so, like, it was his favorite, but he also knew what was coming.
0: I see, because I, uh, the things, I haven't read the second volume, because you, yeah, right. you said to me, because you said to me about it, and I was, I was tempted, but I was, the thing is, is that because um this, this month, July, is month for the guest spots, so I'm doing yeah. here, I'm going on my Android Marvel and DC, I've got a thing with Moxie as well, I'm going on like a film podcast as well, and I'm doing something else, and oh, 20th Century Geek, I'm doing right. Miracle Man, so I'm doing all these comics that I'm having to read, and also there's the Comics Motion Book Club, which drops tomorrow um so
1: yeah which just, which by the time you hear this will have been we will be weeks, weeks ago, ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so weeks ago the co- first episode yeah, yeah. of the Comics of Motion book club dropped and yeah. in that obviously there's going to be trailers potentially for this episode for the next one which is going to be mouse yeah. which uh, dave is going to be the host of yeah, yeah, and i yeah. haven't read mouse oh, and it's quite so it's good. quite chunky and it's really like we've got it funnily enough megan just had it randomly um so it's one of those things where it's like she's got-
1: a teacher of middle school and high school well, students i feel like well, yeah. it's required that you have it
0: <laughs> she hasn't read it though oh. <laughs> so it's because it's she
1: opened it so it was a comic and she
0: doesn't read comics much so it's just it's oh. one of those things so I will have to get her to read it at some point but um, the thing is I've got so many things to read and I was like I read this in the last week because I was like if I read it too far ahead I'll forget so I thought sure. I'll read it read it once then reread it again and do notes and I, after I read it the first time I read the first three and I was like meh and then I got I finished it number six and I was like do I want to try and read the next six just to cram them in and I was like no because what will happen is i imagine we wouldn't have enough time to fully talk about all 12 in the sure. detail we'd want to go on yeah and then what would happen is i'd then be thinking about it and we'd kind of do a half episode on both rather than if the next one is really good we could yeah, potentially do, we'll do another do episode on that so that's 100%. what i kind of thought so i was like i'm not reading them because what happened, it was late at night and i was like it's like 12 30 and i was like should i start on the next couple i was like no because <laughs> they're quite long comics as well it's like 30 yeah. odd pages, pages. It, yeah and, yeah rather normally like 20 so yeah. yeah, but I, I I did enjoy these, and I will say to any listeners because I, I imagine this episode might get quite a few more listeners than other ones because I don't know if you've know- oh, I don't pay attention to your numbers necessarily, but whenever you have an indie comic spotlight on a a uh, property that I'm already familiar with, I will immediately just listen to it regardless, like thirty days a night, like I yeah I just because I've seen the film, so I was like okay, but when yeah. there's other things that I see, I'm like. Like I haven't listened to Harrow Country because I want to read that, but yeah, you know, yeah. and I, that's on my list because I've been reading loads of Colin Bunn Deadpool recently, and it's like I, I want to with the Flintstones. People can be like, well, they don't necessarily need to read the comics so much because you've already got the basis of the character. But when it's a brand new thing like Second Coming, it's just like I suppose the Jesus thing. But maybe Billionaire Island, it's like you, you can't really understand Billionaire Island unless you've read it. But Flintstones, you've got the reference point. Correct. So so yeah. people listen, you should read these comics. Like if you can They're get them on, so YouTube, good.
1: Yeah, Lee loves they these. They she bought them for her library. As soon as, because I was reading them, I'm like, oh my God, I'm just sending her the digital copies. I'm like, you have to read this. So she bought them both trade volumes for the library that she was in in Michigan. Then we moved down here. She bought them for here too. So, yeah, because I've was...
0: sent photos to my friends as well. I've taken little screenshots and been yeah. like, look, you don't need to re- just don't know anything. It's just, Monday Flint it was just Flintstones. Just read this one panel. And there's just the marriage one I've sent to like several people. Oh God. They always are just like, this is gold. Even Megan, I got her to read a few pages. Yeah. I know you don't read comics much, but just read these three pages. They're so good. And she was like, "Adam and Steve, like
1: <laughs> Adam and Steve, let's do it." So issue four is so so in the world of the Flintstones. So there's a couple of layers that are happening here in in the Flintstones. They're they're grappling with issues. The whole point of Flintstones is always, as Mike has said, it's about dealing with modern modern day, but through this kind of satirical comic booky, cartoony lens. And you, and again, like you said, it gives you permission to say things that would normal people would be like. They'd be like I'm super offended, but you're like, oh it's a joke. So that's it <laughs> you you nailed it. So they they tackled this thing about marriage because the point in this version of the Flintstones, you actually see how bedrock, the town where they live is actually founded by Mr. Slate. So they explain why Mr. Slate has a quarry. it's because he has a quarry. So in America in the west, people would move out west and they would like buy a bunch of land and then they would set up a mining town. And so they'd have a mine, they built the a town. Everyone who lived there would either work for the mine or work in one of the buildings in the town, which is owned by the mining town. Then they'd have to shop at the company store. And so they created these little monopolies of of westward expansion, which was like the beginning. It's like the basis for modern day wealth is on, you know, one person owning a town. Mm -hmm. That is how America was built. It's a fact. So like out West. So that's what bedrock is. And you don't really understand that in the cartoons, but they just like lean right in. They're like, we're going to show you slate do this. And it's, and he creates a war. It's, there's a lot of characters have PTSD in this. It's Mm -hmm. real. Shit is real. But in this marriage issue, because marriage is new. So they finally literally come out of the trees that people have and Bam Bam's case out of the trees in particular. And they're now trying to build a society. So they're being told, well, we have to get married. Whereas in the past, there wasn't. You just were like, marriage wasn't a thing. Marriage mm-hmm. is a human invention, which is another comment on religion, of course. Mark can't get away from commenting on religion. So, and of course, Adam and Steve are there. They're this gay couple and they <laughs> raised, they like worst Fred's babysitters. And when the when they walk by and it's, he's like, oh, look, it's Adam and Steve. And of course the joke is it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So that was milk out the nose funny. Um, yeah. and I'm a married man. I've been, I'm twice married. I've, um, uh, I, you know, my first marriage ended in divorce and as did my wife's and we met and we've been together, going, um, been together 16 years. Our wedding anniversary is next month. We'll you know, uh, we were married in 2012. Um, so I, I'm pro marriage being that I did it twice, you know, the first <laughs> one, the first one didn't go well, but I was, I wasn't burned. I wasn't like, I never want to do that again. So but you're not you and you and Megan aren't married yet. You're living in sin, obviously, uh, and <laughs> as always, <you're> going straight <laughs> to hell. Uh, no, so, so what is your what is your thought on marriage writ large, and how do you think? Why does this issue in particular resonate so much with you?
0: The thing is with marriage is that I'm in the mindset that. Anyone who wants to get married, you should do it because you want to do it. That's fine. It's it's whatever people want to do. Like I'm I'm a quite a big proponent of just letting people do it the hell they want within reason. As long as you're not hurting anyone else unless it's in the bedroom and that's what they want, don't do it. You know, it's very simple. For real. But, you know, I'm not gonna get into a whole conversation about my whole opinion on drugs because that is a big thing. That it's a massive conversation that's too much to get in here. But I'm generally quite free about most things. Um, I'm not going to mention my thing about guns because I'll offend a lot of people in America, but- Go ahead, it's, It's more just like, the thing is, anyone outside of America, as soon as anyone out of America says, you probably should be registered for guns. Most people are like you don't understand what it's like. Yeah. Oh my God, you use all these examples or like Australia and all these things where it's a different nation. It's like I understand. I'm not saying to get rid of guns. It's too embedded in your culture. Just people should be registered like you are for a car. You know, if your car runs someone over and you haven't got it, you have to try and report it. Oh, please, they stole my car. So that if it kills someone, you are then not hold sponsor- right. responsible. Same with guns. If you lose your gun and you register, it, tell the police then it's gonna they're gonna know there's a gun about it is it's a lot more complicated than that. But
1: yeah no I think you nailed it stuff. pretty simply yeah. and, it's, and, anyone, it's so true. But anyway,
0: yeah. Marriage. Aside from gun things, I, I'm quite free, you know, people can have guns, drugs, whatever they want, as long as there's things in place to, to you know prevent people going mental. But with marriage, it's funny because my my mum and dad Was my dad's second marriage. It was my mum's third marriage. My mum is now on her fourth marriage. Both my brothers are on their second marriages. So, like, for me, I'm just like, I don't really give a shit about marriage. Like, bluntly, like, I said, me and Megan aren't really that fast. Like, Megan is like, I would like to be married to you because it's just nice, I guess. And I'm like, well, for. Kids, terminal illness, general life, it's just generally easier in Western society to do things as a couple if you are married. It's just, you know, if especially with kids and stuff, and that comes into the mix, which we aren't there yet, but eventually we're gonna have kids. And it's like just I'm a, I'm a guy who wants convenience and ease generally. So it's just like I know that being married when I'm nearer 40, it's going to generally be easier to be with a wife than being saying, oh, it's my partner or it's my girlfriend or any of that stuff and all this sort of other complications. So for me, it's just like for ease, do it. Do I believe there is a true value in it? No. I believe value comes from the people involved. You can. The problem is, you have certain people who they get married because they don't know what else to do with their relationship, or they need an air quotes a fresh start. And rather than just being people and talking about it and trying to, you know, use logic and thinking and talking about emotions and being open and honest with each other and actually resolving problems, they just think there's a quick fix, which is getting married or having kids. And it's just one of those things. Where it's like no proper issue in life can be fixed easily and quickly. Gun laws, drugs, none of them. Nothing is an easy fix because if it was an easy fix, it'd be fixed years ago. So the problem is I find with marriage is a lot of the time you get people who they are bored with each other in their relationship and they decide to get married because they think it's the logical next step or they feel social pressures because people like myself and Megan, once you've been together for more than two years, the question to every single family gathering is, when are you going to get married? And it's like, it's none of your fucking business. And it doesn't make yeah. a difference. So my my opinions is, yeah, I, I don't really care about it very much. I will probably get married at some point. Um, if me and Megan get married and then it ends in divorce, I will probably not want to get married again. <laughs> but as I said, you know, my parents, between them, have had like five marriages. Well, uh, not including themselves, like five marriages, just my own parents. So it's just like, the value there is not quite for me. Um, but what I liked about this issue specifically was... There's a line that Fred says that I actually uh wrote down, and I hope you don't mind if I, if I read it out. Um, there's a lot I want to say, guys, that if you don't read these comics, that's fine. But if you ha- can get hold of them on Hoopla or wherever, if, if DC Infinite has them, I don't know because we don't have that over here, unfortunately. Um, when you eventually get them, just get to issue four and just read that because it, it it's okay. just it's just better than like almost anything. Um, issue four. So here we go. So there's one thing that Fred says, and he says. They're in this circle, and it's one, this priest guy who's an amazing character who keeps changing the name of God when <laughs> people. There was like, it was more. Yeah, maul, and he, yeah and was Gerald, preaches, Gerald and the Invisible God. God. Yeah. yeah. It's just brilliant. Gerald the Invisible God, because then you can't compare it to something and stuff. Because
1: that, right, up to that, they tried different animals, because yeah, it's the yeah. animus, which is a real religion, like that oh, yeah. thing that people believe in. So, like, finally he realizes, like, oh, they shit on the elephant, they shit on this. I'm just going to make it. In. He puts a chair up God. there. Yeah, it's, it's an just invisible like, invisible God he's invisible
0: then you can't criticize it and you can't say this looks a bit too yeah Yeah. gerald is amazing um so yeah they go on (laughs) his marriage retreat thing and there's like a a few couples There's like a young couple an old couple have been married for ages and there's that whole boomer sort of joke humor which is like they hate each other sort of stuff and the the main priest guy he says to fred he's like okay anyone have any misgivings about um marriage fred what worries you and and this really hit home for me this is i i think fred is just such a great character in this so he says Um, So after after being asked, you know, uh, what worries you, he says that Wilma will stop loving me. And then he says, marriage is life insurance. You only enter into a lifetime commitment because you're afraid of the future. But does being married mean that she will love me forever? Or is it just my attempt to keep her from finding someone better? Is marriage really a sacred bond or is it just an illusion of security? And then someone else says, okay, thanks, Fred. Um, (laughs) It's like, that's a really interesting thing because it's just one of the things where like with me, like I don't have a worry that Megan's going to go off and cheat on me. And if I did, I don't think that spending a crap ton of money and having some metal wrapped around my finger is going to stop her from doing that. And if you're the kind of person who only can be committed to a um, to a monogamous relationship and the only way you can do that is with a legally binding document, then you shouldn't be in a monogamous relationship. You, you shouldn't do it. It's that It really is that simple. And it's just... That line, which is, I think that is part of it. You know, you get guys who they're scared of losing their girlfriend because they're worried she's either off doing something or she actually is off doing something. And obviously it works the other way around. And they think that marriage is an extra layer of commitment when really marriage is just an extra layer of com- complications. Like being married doesn't mean you're any more committed to someone who's not married. It yeah. just means you are literally betting money. And especially in America, your life, your the things you own – You are betting that against yourself. You're saying, I'm so confident that of our love, I'm willing to bet half of my stuff that she will not leave me or he will not leave me. And I just think his line there is very clever, and obviously it was really Mark Russell's line, of just like, I feel like a lot of people are married for that reason. And I think that you're not... People shouldn't feel bad if they're worried about losing their partners because... You know, things can happen and, you know, marriages can be perfect for 15 years and then something can happen, it can change. And it's not a problem to be worried about losing your partner. But if you rest all that on marriage, that's when it's the problem. And I don't think Fred and Will would do that. I think they have a quite nice relationship from what I've seen. But it's just, I really liked that line. And then I'm not going to read the rest of it now, but there's about four pages after that consecutively, which is oh, just genius. about Adam and Steve. And it's just-
1: Adam and Steve show sudden. up and they're like, we decided to get married. And then everybody's like, because oh, up until that point, they're like holding up signs that are like one man plus one woman equals weird. God and hates God, dads. God hates dads. I love yeah, that. And then And so it's like, up to this point, everybody's just against the concept of marriage because of everything that you just said, they're like, well, this is weird. And why would you do it or whatever? And then Adam and Steve show up and are like, we decided to get married and they're both in tuxes looking sharp. Yeah, I love that. Genius. Yeah. And of course, because everybody wears dresses in bedrocks, so nobody wears pants. So they're in a tux on the top, but the bottom is still, you know, the dress. And, um, and then everybody, then they like all turn and they suddenly hate, you know, gay people. And they're like, Oh, regular man and woman marriage is fine. And there's this whole thing about breeders and, um, <laughs> It's really smart. It is really, really smart. And um, I just think, I think you know that a comic book is good when just like you just had this whole thoughtful thing based on this thing that Fred Flintstone, what what Mark does is make Fred really smart. Mm-hmm. In the cartoon, Fred was very much based on Jackie Gleason from The Honeymooners. Like The Flintstones mm-hmm. was very much a cartoon version of The Honeymooners, which was yeah. one of the first you know sitcoms and it was shot live and everything. And it was very much about those those, you know, the the married people who don't like each other and there's the dumb wife and everything. And so the cartoon leaned into that. And this is like, no, 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 they're not that. Nobody's dumb. I mean, Pebbles is the smartest person in the book, but like nobody's dumb betty has got her own insecurities and Wilma's got her own insecurities, but they're not dumb. They're not stupid, giggling housewives. Barney and Fred have PTSD. Barney's got some real heavy stuff that he's Mm -hmm. dealing with. His son is a war refugee that he's, you know, like he's killed, Barney's responsible for the destruction of, of Bam Bam's entire race of people. Yeah. And then he's choosing to raise him as, as a son. And so it's like, there's so many, they like lean hard into the stuff, but that's how you know something is good, that this thing that could be looked at is just silly. And there's like these amazing visual puns. Always, as always, in every Mark Russell book, and particularly when he and Steve do something together, you're going to get a ton of those um, visual puns in the background. There's this really deep, heavy thing that makes you think about what you're doing. Like you, you mentioned your thought with so Lee and I've been married. Like I so said, we got married in 2012. We've been together since 2005, but, but. We didn't live together until we moved down here. We had separate houses until we moved down here because our kids went to different schools. So we were married in 2012. We didn't live in the same house until almost 2018. So again, people are like, "What are you doing? That's weird." We're like, "Yeah, but you know, like you said, sometimes you you get married for whatever reasons you get married, and in America too." Oh,
0: so much the social pressures in America. Is it's
1: not cold. even well, well. It's the um, it the, insur- the insurance and the way that life works and the way that you know. There's legal obligations to, to, uh, to, for certain things that you, like you mentioned before, like terminal illness, whatever in America, it's even worse. If you're not married, you can't, you can't legally speak for your partner. You could be together for 16 years, but if you're not married, you can't legally say this is what she wants. And they're like, well, yeah. we got to ask her mom, even though you guys have, you know, cause she's technically the next of kin. And you're like, but we, <laughs> so, you know, there's like all those things, but you know, we're, we, we wanted to, you know, it's not like it was like, uh, Marriage, but you know we were fine not getting married. You know what I mean? Like we were fine yeah, yeah. being together because we're not jealous people either. Um, so it's amazing that here's this seemingly silly comic book that makes you have such a thought about yourself and about the world and about why people do things. And and you, when you look at people, like one of my favorite singers is Ben Folds, and he's been mar- open, he's been married four times, and you're like, at what point is that a you problem? No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like at what point? And it's not like because, you know, he was a widow, like he's been divorced four times is what I should say. So it's like, well, damn, (laughs) (laughs) at at what point in time are your priorities wrong?
0: No, exactly. And I want to clarify, as so a pre-facing to clarify, yeah. my mum, my she was married four times. And yeah. for clarity, she said the first marriage, she was way too young. She was like 19, it ended very quickly. Second marriage was okay, but it, it lasted a couple of years. Then she met my dad, and then they were married for like he 20 years. He passed away. Right. He passed away. And then mum didn't want to get married again, but my now stepdad, he had never married before, and he really wanted to. So my mum was yeah. like, well, I'm not going to yeah. ruin a good relationship to not get married. So she just right. went along with it to make him happy, which is... yeah. Stereotypically, the other way around, isn't it? Normally, it's the man yeah. gets married to the woman because she's right. in that yeah. sense. It's just like, is you get that stereotypical, you know, the the black widow almost is the term, you know, yeah. when you get a, she marries like a really old dude, gets all their money, and then just yeah. marries another one. It's like, yeah,
1: and you see that, yeah. And again, that's because, because there are, and again, everybody has their reasons for doing it, you know, and it's just like, so again, it's just funny because Ben Folds writes these like amazing, passionate love songs, so you know, like he loves people, like he. Like, so you're writing these songs about people you love so much about. So what is it, you know, what's happening that, and again, I think it's also the concept of marriage, especially and again in America, because it is a legal oblig. It's a, it's a legal thing more than it is a love thing, but we pretend to throw the religion piece in there too. So that's why it's so funny that Gerald and the priest, the Gerald priest guy is involved in this because it was before it was like in issue one, um, Fred comes home, um, after he helps the guy get through his PTSD, Joe, and he um, almost just looking at their wedding photos, which, of course, are like etchings. And it's it's like we had a traditional and he like get, get, had to give goats to get her. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the best goats I ever spent. And so it's like they were married before there was religion because they wanted to. So it's like, again, it was a setup in episode one, issue one to get you here. So, exactly. again, it's it's the quality of the writing and I think anything that makes you think like this, anything that makes you want to, like you said, you're just sending screenshots to people. You're like, oh my god, oh my god, look at this, look at this, because that's because you know the people are going to laugh, mm-hmm. or you know they're going to be like, oh burn, or whatever it is. <laughs> you know they're they're going to see it and they're going to think whatever it is. Even one. So if you the power of of this medium that in one panel out of context, it still makes someone have to go spend 20 minutes thinking about it. Think about how good that is.
0: A hundred percent. And it's, it's got, there's so many layers to this as well. I mean, there's lots of little, I mean, with every Mark Russell thing, as you said, like we could legitimately sit here and for an hour just list background puns wordplay funny yeah. references like the amount like there's a whole bit about artists and there's loads of uh, yeah, like well, there's an and artist. yeah Andy Warhog. and then there's also like the professor guy is Professor Sargon which is obviously Carl Sagan and even looks, he like, Carl looks Sagan. like Carl
1: Sagan literally it's the same crazy. person so it's just
0: all these funny things and there's another scene in that um the marriage one that cracked me up and uh, Parks and Recreation do it a lot and that's one of my favourite parts about the show which is when you get like a town meeting and town meetings is always in badly because everyone just <laughs> everyone sucks being you get the loudest most obnoxious people and one of the best lines and i'm going to read another thing out because i've got the ipad in front of me so they're in the bedrock town hall they're talking about marriage and you know all of the the mob are basically saying you know it's an affront to decency you know what about the children you know if we allow men and women to marry how long before they start marrying dinosaurs on street lambs? it's a slippery slope which is the argument for gay marriage which is yeah. ridiculous and the mayor says i understand your concerns but frankly we have more important things to worry about like what like everything, every issue is more important than this. And then one of the guys gets up and says, in that case, we're taking matters into our own hands. Follow me, angry mob. And it's like, that is perfect. It's literally like, this issue doesn't matter.
1: Oh, well, if you don't think it matters, let's get violent then. It's like, no, you're missing the point. Well, and then (laughs) the brilliant brilliant thing is, is in the next issue, he loses the election. Yeah, exactly.
0: To the Claude the Destroyer or something. Well, I think
1: his name is Claude the Destroyer. So- this was written, this came out in 2016 in the teeth of the Trump Trump's election. I could see Trump's using, a bit. And, but this, was, this means this had to have been written early on in 2016 for it to come out, for issue five to come out towards the end of 2016. Mm-hmm. So Trump, so Russell called it. He knew exactly what would happen if you elect this crazy genocidal maniac who hates people, kill the tree people just because, and there's, there's, in the mayor one, in the election day one, there's this parallel story between i uh, punch me in the beef, I'll vote for me, or I'll punch I you in the beef. This the punch me in the beef is so good. <laughs> He's running for middle school president, and and again, Pebbles shows up and just eats it. She eats the she eats his lunch. She take literally. There's lots of lunch stealing things, but Pebbles comes in and gives a passionate argument against bullies, and middle schoolers band together and vote for Pebbles. Mm-hmm. The adults on the other side, here's the here's the line. And it says this comes on TV and it says it's election day. And remember, your vote counts whether you know what you're doing or not. I wrote that down (laughs) right there. Okay, so (laughs) we both it was. So (laughs) there's this commentary. So this this again, good writing. Issue four sets it up that the mayor is going to they're going to have an election. And then there's this parallel between middle schoolers, which we all agree middle school in, you know, is when you're like between 12 and 14. Everybody's a hormonal asshole. Right. Yes. But in this comic, they could they could be reasonable enough to say, don't vote for the bully. But the adults couldn't figure out not to vote for a person who's called Claude the Destroyer. <laughs>
0: And his dad was called it as well. He was like, do they even destroy things? Or like, you just get that from your dad? It's like, that's not relevant.
1: <laughs> that's not relevant. Yeah, right. And Which so-
0: Obviously, billionaires and things. Like, did you even make all your own money? It's like, that's not relevant. I'm a self-made man. It's like, no,
1: you, right. you inherited that. You didn't earn that. It's the same thing. It is the same thing. And so it's so I love the election day. So I think four and five work so perfectly together. And they're probably the yeah. best two- uh, you know, in the whole series of 12, I think these two because they kind of tell one story because like mm-hmm. you said, it ends with the mayor is like everything is more important than this, but then he's going to lose yeah. to some guy who's like literally saber rattling. And so, you know, Trump ran his whole campaign on I and this is the thing, people of Earth. I, I wish I could pretend this was fake, but you maybe you can remember six years ago. Trump started running for president in 2015, and he said, "I'm going to build the wall, and Mexico will pay for it." He said that out loud, for and and he won the election on that. And there is no wall. Mexico did not pay for the Mexico did not pay for the wall. It's more of a fence, isn't it? But, well, there was already some fencing there. I mean, there, you can't pretend. He <laughs> elongated the fence that they the el- and he did, he he did build the wall. Up, no wall, and Mexico wasn't going to pay. for it. But he told that lie. And people believed it, and so you see Claude the Destroyer using this idea of other, of they're not like us, and so we need to separate, we need to kill them, we need to take their, we need to do whatever. And that that idea of this um, like Djangoistic fear mongering is on full display here, and it is terrifying. I mean, so during this time also Brexit was happening. So how? So for me, I read this and I think back to the 2016 election. I'm like, oh. How does this work with like? Is the commentary on Brexit in here as well? I feel like it is, yeah. but I didn't live it the way you did.
0: Yeah, with the Brexit thing, the problem is is, and this is the issue. Like, I was generally Remainer, but I wasn't. I, I don't have any stake in being in the EU because, frankly, at the time, no one, and I don't give a shit who you are, no one had a fucking clue. Bluntly, on both sides, remainers and leavers. And on that basis, yeah. I was like, let's just stay because we don't know. Everything's fine at the moment. Let's just stay. We're in the middle. We're still in a recession. We still haven't recovered from that. All this shit is happening. Is this really now the time to literally cut off so many support networks and make everything far more complicated? Like, You, when, you do not become independent at the most difficult point in your life, you shouldn't do that. When you're at the most safe and you're like, oh, cool, I've got some money, I've got some experience, let's try and be independent. You don't go, oh, man, I'm bankrupt, I've got no yeah. money, there's no morale. This is the best time for me to move out by myself. It's like, yeah. no.
1: Or I'm 11 eating. and I should move out. Right. Yeah, exactly. you got to wait until you're more stable. Yeah. 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 And I was
0: just like, I was like, I, if there is a perfectly good argument to leave the EU and there's a perfectly good argument to stay, but because the election happened, like, because David Cameron basically had an ego thing and was like, hey, I don't think this is going to happen. Let's call it and prove everyone wrong. And then it happened. He's like, oh shit, I'm resigning. It's just like, oh, you fucking idiot. It's just like, regardless of if you remain or stay, all of the media on either side were both lying and both didn't know what they were talking about. I think the leavers were lying a little bit more, but regardless, they were still saying things that were just... There were people remaining who were saying, oh, we remain because the EU does this, this, and this. And then it was like, well, no, they're UK laws. It doesn't matter about the EU. And then there's people who are saying, we need to leave because we'll save all this money. It's like, no, that money will have to be reinvested into all the exporting and importing things. We're going to lose. So it's just both sides were useless and they didn't help each other. And because it was called in like six months, or like stupid or a couple months, no one had time to actually formulate a decent proposal or even anything, which is why Brexit is still seemingly going on somewhat because no one... <laughs> No
1: one is, knows. It's because well, to me, me so much. Yeah, no, no. To me, it was like the, the simple thing for me as an outsider, but who's got, you know, like my half, I'm half Irish, right? So like Ireland so you know
0: everything about Ireland, so
1: because I'm half, right? Because my grandparents yeah. were 100 percent Irish. Um, no, but but because I've like pay enough attention and I've read enough books, yeah, I yeah. thought that's not gonna work with Ireland because I know well enough as someone who doesn't live in your country that part of Northern Ireland is on the island of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Part of the UK is over there. I knew that well enough. Like, that's not going to work.
0: was well, so was Scotland? Scotland didn't want to leave. They, they were trying well, to get but independence Scotland from Scotland
1: is us. part of... Right, right. That well, They, they connect
0: to the island. They are connected con- but physically. But at least
1: that... And that was turned down a couple of years ago. That's going to come back up now, right? So oh, they're going to want to leave. And then they're going right? to join
0: back. Yeah, they're going to split with their... Oh like, my God,
1: what, what a it's nightmare. A, it's,
0: it's a mess. But with, with this whole Brexit stuff, yeah. it is one of those things where it is just... My frustration with most politics is that when both sides don't know what they're talking about they act like they have all the answers and the other side don't know what they're talking about. Rather than both going, look, neither of us know what's going on. Why don't we just table this and wait a little bit? They were both doubling down on everything and making everything worse and then it became this whole political discourse where it's like, instead of the left and the right, it was the rainers and the leavers. When... No one really knew what they were doing, so everyone's getting angry at each other for not knowing the answers. They're like, Yeah, well, if you want to stay, how come do you know the answer to this question? And then the stayers were going, You want to leave? Or do you know the answer to this question? It's like, Neither of you have any answers. Um, but the line in this comic that actually spoke to me specifically, um, it was about um, uh, Claude the De- Claude the Destroyer's dad, so this was back in the d- before times, yeah. and he said, Um, they what um, they're talking about, they're talking about the tree people who are people living in the trees and stuff, which is how they eventually kill them all basically and then eventually uh, do bedrock and it goes this guy is saying they watch us from their trees waiting perhaps they will come out of their trees and sell their pinecone art or maybe they will come out and burn you alive as they devour the flesh of your children who knows but do you really want to find out right that's the exact thing it's like oh these immigrants they're coming over ruining everything it's like well the data doesn't show that yeah but some of the immigrants will come over and murder people it's like well maybe but some of all people some british people are going to murder british people like it's right The race isn't a deterministic factor of if you're going to kill people or not. People will just kill people. It doesn't matter where you're from. And I think that fear is such a big tactic in politics. And I think that with that line in particular, it was like, well, they could go over and sell art or they could, you know, devour your children and set you on fire. Who knows? But do you want to find out? And it's that sort of thing of like, people who are they're not as informed let's say less educated they'll be like oh no well i don't want that to happen oh my god they're scared and then they get manipulated by this person in power who has none of their own interests at heart and then manipulates them twists everything and then when the person in power gets their own way they're like "Eh, i don't really need to do all these promises i had and it
1: because i'm right i won so that's I won, all the matters.
0: i got all the money and now i can do whatever the hell i want for however long and it's just right. that that line really the the dialogue there really stuck to me of that just there's so many parts where i just i started writing things down and then when i got to the fourth and fifth issue i was like i need to make more space on my notepad
1: because right. I...
0: <laughs> the first few issues didn't need that much stuff written they, down, right it's just setting up building. the world
1: and it's smart yeah. and the, the first i think the first three issues are really smart you learn that the that the uh the appliances have agency which is yeah. great um and they're lonely and sad and the one where bowling ball and vacuum oh. cleaner that is heartbreaking oh, so, like so that, sad Breaks my heart every time I'm rereading it. I'm like, poor vacuum cleaner, which, and I'm not, I, everybody, you just need to read these and I, we're not going to, we can't go down the road, but just to know that all of the appliances are just like they are in the cartoons, but they all have agency and bowling ball, which is an armadillo and vacuum cleaner, which is an elephant, are friends. And it is heartbreaking. And for, to say that out loud makes no sense, but it also makes you think about like your own appliances and what they're doing when you're not watching. Like Mitchell versus the machines, but this was the precursor to that. Like toy, story. Like, toy story. Toy story, or to toy fall, story, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, but you're right. So you get to four and five, which are really, I think, the the the, the best things about this. Mm-hmm. What I love about five, there's two things about the election issue that I wanted to talk to you about and see where where you went with that. And they're both about um making decisions about uh change and, mm-hmm. and being willing to admit you were wrong. So we learned two things. We already, I already touched on it, the bam bam is a tree person Mm -hmm. you you learn that and that he that barney essentially killed his family because barney and fred get duped into joining claude the destroyer dad in slate's war their jingoistic war to kill the tree people to build bedrock and barney and fred really regret that decision and that they in the cartoon the water buffalo guys they're just like hanging out bowling and they bowl in this but it's like really like a men's self-help group kind of like Mm -hmm. you know in a and Punisher, right? The the Punisher TV series. It's exactly
0: what I was thinking. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's exactly that. It's that idea of these, these veterans getting together and working through their PTSD. And Fred and Barney really change. And they admit their mistakes. They're, like, really self-aware. For being these big, muscle-bound, like, freaks, they're really mentally self-aware. So what did you make of both of those things? Because they're together. That Barney saves a tree person, raises him as his own, keeps it secret... And do you think that's how why it is that Barney has changed his mind, or is it that is it because is is it Bam Bam, or do you think it's something else? Are they and and why is it then that in modern the modern Western world people are unwilling to admit they've made a mistake?
0: Well, the the unwilling to make a mistake thing that's something I tackle on, on various shows I go on quite a lot. And most of the time when I go on a show, my selling point is me talking about my dad passed away. And that's normally yeah. something that makes me seem slightly different from every other white dude who's in their mid-20s who's podcasting. Right. So normally I can get in there and then people ask about the lessons I've learned. And it was always that my dad was a great man. He can never admit who was wrong, ever. And the only time he ever apologized to me is when he told me he had cancer, which is the only time in my life he should never have apologized. Right, so he did that. nothing like, wrong. Right. No, exactly. Is that like the only time he's ever apologized to me is the one time he should never have. And so he had an ego, and I've described it as there's a voice in my head, or was more so. I've become more open, and I accept when I'm wrong now. And I, you know, being wrong is actually a strength, not a weakness, because you have to admit you're basically being vulnerable. You're, you're being vulnerable, your own you're, you're you're accepting the fact that your opinions can change, and you're not always right. And that is something because when I was younger, there's this voice in your head that is just always saying, even in an argument, if you know you're wrong, don't admit you're wrong. You're weak. If you don't admit you're wrong, don't say it. And there's this weird feeling where you just feel like you shouldn't ever do it and then once you do it once it becomes easier each time and now it's like oh i need to do this otherwise it almost hurts to be clearly i'm in the wrong if i just hold on to that it just makes me feel uncomfortable and um, but linking him with sort of the changing mind thing i think it links to why fred changed his mind to begin with because when they uh because fred wanted to join and barney didn't initially and barney was like i'm happy with you know uh betty uh, and things and then he goes and sits by their little tent thing and over here's Betty and Wilma talking and then Wilma uh, Betty says it's basically along the lines of she's really happy but she wants a family Barney's having issues with fertility uh they go to like a doctor things so won't get into the details but he basically <laughs> up, it's hilarious it's a, it's a great world. thing yeah it's the sperm Oracle I love it uh, but people need to read it because it's just brilliant um and then he overhears this conversation
1: I'm sorry i started i laughed so hard. i the love bed, this topic the so
0: sperm much. the sperm oracle you don't get to say those sentences very often do you <laughs> i wish i had a sperm oracle that'd be fun just jizz into like a teacup they tell my future tell that's you not, not what nature. it is tell that, you what your not... kids are yeah oh god i don't think i need to know that i've got a fairly good idea i think worries um but for, uh, Barney sits next to the, the tent thing and overhears a conversation that Wilma and uh, Betty are having. And basically, Wilm, uh, Betty says that she's incredibly happy with Barney. Everything's great, but the one thing that she feels that like she would want is probably a family. And so Barney's kind of feeling sad about that and he's feeling, you know, down about it understandably because he feels like he can't provide and can't give his wife what she wants at the end of the day because that's really all Fred and Barney want to do actually is just make their wives happy which is really nice. The reason Fred wants to enroll is because he doesn't want the tree people to get him and his wife and his... she's pregnant at the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And obviously she gets angry that he's enrolled. Like, you've left me by myself pregnant. And he's like, no, I'm doing this for you because you're pregnant. I want to protect you. Whereas Barney, he changes his mind. He decides to join because of the worry that he can't do this for his wife or he can't do that. So that in itself is a factor in why they joined. And obviously because of that, Barney, it does eventually get the son things. But I think from what I've heard from most people who have uh, kids and things, I think the kids are probably the biggest factor in change. Because what I've heard is it changes one's capacity for love And it means that, you know, when you're with a partner, you want to prioritize them. But at the end of the day, you have to prioritize yourself as number one. They're just as a close second. And in certain scenarios, they are above you. But generally, you have to take care of yourself. When you have a kid, they, for most, for a lot good period of their life, they can't. So you you literally have to prioritize them over you. And when one does that, it changes your perspective on a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of people who say, oh, I had kids. And then it changed my perspective. I stopped treating women as badly because I realized that they were babies once and these sort of things. A lot of these are, older people who should have really come to that realization anyway, but any realization is a good one in some ways. So I feel like the war changed them because they thought they were going to fight these savages when it turns out they're just fighting people. And the big change in it is, and it gets referenced in, I think the sixth uh, issue as well is that they realize right at the very end of the war, when they basically killed everyone, they find like a doll and they're like, who brings children to the front line of a battlefield? And they have the realization that they are the ones who are invading and killing all these people, they are, people aren't coming to them and trying to take their land. They're doing it, and I think once you see that, you see the sadness in their faces. And once again, to Steve Pugh, his um his artwork is Ugh. the emotions are incredible, and you see the darkness in their faces when they realize that. And I think the combination of you know pregnant wife and having and finding a child, and just realizing you've decimated, well, you commit a genocide. You've killed a whole race of people essentially. I think those culminate together to make them kind of have to have that realization where you go these people were just like us and they mention it in um or maybe it was the alien one there's one part it is the alien one sorry it's it's, um this references the alien one which was the uh third issue third issue where there's one part where they're talking about fighting the aliens and i think it's barney and he says like well how the one says oh how do you know they'd win the fight and they go well they they can come and attack our home but we can't get to theirs and i think that's very clear about multiple issues in America and things. I don't need to delve into those things, you know, Mexico border, all the hundreds of things indigenous It's people, all what
1: it's about. It's right. All there. about America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's just that sort of thing where it's like that he's saying that in the second, in the third issue because he remembers from being in the war that he they were the invading force. If someone invades your town, you've got nowhere to retreat to. And if they destroy everything, they've destroyed all your livelihood. But if you are going elsewhere to battle, if the if the environment gets destroyed, you're still fine because you haven't got the investment in that area. So I think it's the the culmination of family mixed with the realization they were the bad guys. And I think from there, that sets them off into, you know, their their lives. And that's probably what gets them PTSD. You know, PTSD, obviously you see a lot of horrible things, but a lot of the time is, I'm not speaking for people who've got PTSD, but a lot of the time it's not necessarily that you've seen the horrors you've seen is that you've caused the horrors for the wrong reasons. You know, if you if you kill a baddie, air quotes, you know, if you kill a terrorist who's trying to kill a school full of children, you won't necessarily be haunted by that. If you kill a child thinking they're a terrorist when they're not, that that's a very different thing. The act is almost the same, but it's the the effect of what you've done and the reasoning you thought you had to do it, that I think is what haunts people. And I think that's from my interpretation of a lot of PTSD cases, I think that's what kind of links it all together. And I say that's a very deep thing to talk about on a Flintstone <laughs>
1: cigar, But which is one of the reasons it's so good. It is exactly the reason it's so good is because all of that is there. Jo- and that's the thing, like you said, we're not going to, we can't possibly get into all the visual puns, but what Mark Russell does so well with second coming with this, with Billionaire Island, with everything, with even his Red Sonia. there's jokes in his Red Sonia. there's jokes in Prez, there's jokes in, um, I mean, Prez is a joke. That's the whole point of it. Because again, <laughs> yeah. that's, I mean, that's genius. I love that, that got canceled way too early and. uh, it was disappointing that series. I wish that that had continued on because I would have loved to have seen the hot dog as president through the Trump administration, like giving Mark her voice to do. Because, you know, she was this is the same. It's this 15-year-old girl who becomes president. So it's like she has just as much experience as the idiot we elected. So um I, this pres is great. But again, that, you know, that one we can probably... Ta-cha, we'll go we'll see because that's technically adjacent to the dc universe that's more in the dc universe but i would recommend anyone who likes to laugh um read that but but in and everything satire gives you layers like it's not just funny and so that's what you're saying it's deep because it's a silly Flintstones comic but it's 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 works because uh because you're laughing because it hits you in the right place and because he breaks it up they, you know, he and Steve break it up enough. Here's a joke. Here's a joke. I can, I can slip this kind of life lesson in here. Almost, you know, here's a parable about this. We, we they deal with religion. They deal with science. They deal with um, marriage. They deal with elections. I mean, these are six issues like life on other planets and the life on other planets happens, you know, and then you're, it, you know, in conjunction with, we're trying to figure out what our religion is, you know, that that's all happening at the same time. And you're like, because the argument is like the people who say like, well, this is it. God created the heaven and earth and blah, blah, You believe in that. If alien life is real, you're fucked. Yeah. Because everything that you thought, it can't be true. Even though you can look in Ezekiel, there's a line in Ezekiel where Ezekiel is seeing extraterrestrial life. People just want to skim over. So I feel like if we prove extraterrestrial life, people will reread the Bible and be like, oh, you know, because they don't want to just admit they were wrong. But, but, you know, but he can do all that and have serious issues because he's making you laugh at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's not just a downer. So you leave reading the Flintstones feeling kind of uplifted, even though you're also like, oh, fuck. Genocide's genocide. Huh. All of America is about genocide. I mean, because you can look at everything that America is. It's the genocide. You know, like right now we're trying to, you know, a fictional white border. They're like, There's no border. Borders are fake. Right. I mean, if you look at the map, you're on an island. So that's your map. Okay. But your your counties are, it's not like there's no grid. Nothing is a grid. It's like, and I understand if it curves because there's a river. You're like, there's a river. So this side is this and that side's that. Okay, that's a natural barrier I can I can follow. But if you look at my stupid penis-shaped state, which okay, <laughs> so there's it's but that's fine. But then at the top, it like zigs and zags, and it's in a different part of the state is in a different time zone. Well, then that should not be the same state. If your state is so big it covers two time zones, you got to sh- cut cut that shit off and that needs to be in a different thing. And like Oklahoma and Idaho are all these weird shapes and it's like all completely arbitrary. And maps and we are that arbitrary. In
0: the low ranger. we tackle that as we kind did.
1: Of We absolutely <laughs> did. And but so so but this is the issue. It's like all of America this whole western expansion and everything that we do is about a genocide. Whether it's killing the genocide of humans, which it is in this, like it was in our country, or the genocide of ideas. And so, like you can you can wipe an idea out. You can we only have two parties. Our system, there's, a ton, but that's just not true. There's a ton of parties, but we don't give them oxygen. We suffocate them. When when you kill, there's a green party and the and the you know the we actually have a communist party. We have a socialist party. We have you know the libertarian party. But when you just like suffocate them. And you don't give them a chance to read. You're, you're committing like a political genocide because you only want these two to exist. And Lewis Black, the comedian, says, well, you know, the, the two party system is like a bowl of shit looking in the mirror at itself. That's <laughs> that's what and it's true. And I like what you guys have, like having five or six parties does make things a little bit harder. It also means you can't wipe any one thing out every even the smallest voice. Gets to say because with you guys, you know, when you have to cobble the government together, so the four people from Northern Ireland who represent all of Northern Ireland and the UK—they have a lot of power mm-hmm. because it's like, well, you need our four votes to pick your prime minister. So what are we going to get? And so you can't smother ideas. And so I love this concept in this book. And again, if you just write that story, you're like, that's sad. I don't want to read that. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> so so the the mixture of jokes and reality is what makes. You think, is it what makes it work? You get a laugh and then an hour later you're like, oh shit, that wasn't, maybe that wasn't funny, but I'm yeah. still going to giggle at it.
0: And it's also, we've, I want to clarify, because we, we've been focusing on the things that are big talking points. And obviously sure. uh, in in the majority of the there is, it's, it's interwoven social commentary, but I would say like 70%, if we like shut up, we uh, put each panel into a category, 70, 80% of all panels are either vague in-time Flintstone story or puns. There's only like 10 or or 20% that's even social commentary, but the way it's interwoven is so clever that you've got like a main story going on and all you need is three or four lines of dialogue for every 50 and it changes or at least it it not quite taints, but it kind of, it does, let's just say changes. It can change what the last 50 lines were. If you don't get the social commentary, it doesn't make it so you can't understand everything that happened in the plot, but it just gives more weight to it. It's like I said with the whole Barney thing. Like he says one throwaway comment in issue three about, you know, aliens not be, you know, we would lose a war against aliens because yeah. they come here. That's fine. That's ju- That's just a sentence. But when you then read the following issues and you see he only knows that because he was on the other end of that, then it gives more weight, and that's why I say people, if you read this, read the six, and then go back to the first three because there's a lot of cool things there. But it is one of the things as well. Like this isn't; these comics aren't downers. They they are no. fun, light-hearted comics. They're brightly coloured. You know, you you could probably, I, I'd probably have to double check because I don't. But you you could probably get kids to read this, and it wouldn't really be much of a, a yeah. Problem. I think
1: they're I think they're twelves. Yeah, I think
0: they're, so like yeah, yeah. not like mm-hmm. eight-year-olds, but you know, young young adults or teenagers rather would be able to read mm-hmm. these without asking necessarily too many questions in, in the sort of the ways that certain parents wouldn't ask them to wouldn't want them to but it's trying to make something entertaining while also having it say something without the saying of something being shoved down your throat is incredibly valuable and difficult to do I think South Park are probably the best people in the world at doing it but I adore South Park so that's biased but like in comics I haven't read a huge huge amount but I just think Mark Russell does it so well because it's just if you don't want social commentary read The Flintstones. It's a fun comic. It's it's good. It's, it's just fun, you know? If you want social commentary and you look out for it, you also get, as you said, that additional layer. And that's the trick, is that when you make content, you either have to aim it at one specific demographic and go kind of all in, which rarely works, or you have to, try and make it appeal to other people but the problem is you get with certain things like the star wars film we argued about you know <laughs> i feel like you, it gets spread too thinly and you try and make everyone equally happy when realistically mm. all you need to do is aim at one person but then widen the peripheral a little bit so that a few other demographics can get in and then you've got a much wider g- grasp of people enjoying it and then some other people would enjoy it but if you just go in like you know everyone's gonna love this you no one will you, you'll just get right. to people who kind of like it and i just think that's why this is so well done. I just want to hit home with people. This isn't a Downer comic. This isn't no. even a social commentary comic. This is a Flintstones comic. It just happens to have social commentary in it. And obviously, social commentary is one of my favorite things. So that's why we're talking yeah, about it. Yeah, right. So.
1: Well, and that's and again, that's what satire does. That's why I like satire. Um, mm-hmm. because I, you know, Jonathan Swift's, you know, Gulliver's Travels. You can mm-hmm. you can hand that to an eight-year-old and they're just gonna be like, This is a fun adventure story. But then when you're an adult, they're like, Ooh. <laughs> 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 He's kicking the, ca- boy, those Catholics are really taking it down the teeth. Oh, boy, Ireland is a hot mess. Oh, England, maybe, you know, so it's like you you read Gulliver's Travels for what it is. But if you can, but Gulliver's, I read Gulliver's Travels as a kid's story. And then as an adult, I read it. And was like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? And it's the same with Narnia. Like, I love the Narnia books. I grew up reading the Narnia books. Like, the first book chapter books I read, I could read when I was three like I, I was a re- so like my parents. It doesn't were like surprise me. Running, at all. R- <laughs> my parents were running out. So like, I'm in like fifth. I'm like five, and I'm reading the Narnia books because they're like, here's books that aren't like super, You know, it's like, I mean, I read stuff way too young. You know, I was reading like Steinbeck when I was like ten, but. Five, they're like you're not reading of mice and men. You don't need to go. What's a whore? So here's Narnia. <laughs> Why is so covered in Vaseline? <laughs> right. <laughs> what was yeah. devil? <laughs> right. So so the thing about um, the thing about Narnia, I didn't get the whole religious connotations again until later because you can just read Narnia, and it's this fun book, and you love them, and you like Susan. Di- sorry, hashtag everybody. Sorry, Susan lives at the end, but it's actually bad. All the rest of them die, and somehow you still feel bad that Susan. Susan lives and like they, he tricks you this whole thing. And then you read it again. You're like, Oh, Oh, Susan's a non-believer and that's all there for you to see if you want to see it. And he's got this whole Christian mess message there if you want to see it, but if you don't, so that's what works. Like when you layer things, good writing is a lot allows you to do that. And I think what Mark does always is he, he never just is even again with red Sonia, which is, you know, battle queen, you know he's not he's still going to tell a story in there because i don't think he can help himself but he also nobody wants to read something that sucks you know yeah. you know you want things to be layers you want to read it and go like oh that I, I get something else from it and and that intergenerational um aspect is really good um so yeah i agree these are fun they're i mean pebbles i pebbles is the hero of this whole series for me um i just think she is such a voice of reason in this crazy thing. And that's, again, that generational thing. She's like the first, she's, because Bam Bam as adopted. She's literally the first person we meet who's born in bedrock, mm-hmm. right? So Wilma's pregnant, the war happens. So Pebbles doesn't know a life outside of civilization, and she questions things in a real honest way that we wish the next generation would. Or you know, a lot of
0: people would wish the generation don't, which is where well, a lot
1: of I, problems come from. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, totally fair, totally fair. Um, well, we're, we've been going for a while, and we haven't really talked. I do want to talk briefly about um, you mm. mentioned Steve Pugh's um, art. Yes, he they made um, so again not to get super heavy, but they went ahead and made Betty a non-white character, which I think is so smart. Um, in the original, you know, like. There's a lot of non-white characters in here, but to make Betty to be of Asian descent, I think is really an interesting. What did you make of that when you first saw that? Were you like, I mean, again, Steve Hughes' art is amazing. So please feel free to wax poetic about Steve's art writ large, but what did you make of his portrayal of Betty in particular? Because I found that mm. so accurate. But also like, because you know, if if it's supposed to be about westward expansion of America, there would be Native Americans or Alaskans or you know, people who have who are of Asian descent. So I just, I love, I'll shut up. Tell me about Steve Pugh. What did you think of Betty? Well, I was going to say about Betty,
0: I didn't even realize. I had to scroll, as you were talking, I was like, is she? And I scroll back, I was like, oh yeah, I can kind of see like her face. Now that you mention it, I can see it more so. But I'm, yeah, I I didn't even notice that in a sense of just like, I mean, hope one, let's look at it in this way. Hopefully and optimistically,
1: I am so woke, I don't see race. (laughs) And so that's why- It didn't register, but that's good though. Because it wasn't like, it wasn't different enough for you because you're like, yeah, of course people are- Yeah, inter-
0: with me, there's- normally, yeah. normally when I- I've noticed now, and me and Megan talk about when we see things, if if we watch a TV show and they've got representation of air uh, quotes, not maybe equal amounts, but they've got some degree of representation, we don't notice or not notice. But when they don't, that's when we notice the most. If we watch a show and there's no black people, the first thing we go is, why are they- like if it's you know certain shows at certain points in history you know historical things or whatever you know that's why like watching narcos at the moment and there's not for specific reasons you know because Pablo Escobar and all the sort of things there's all kinds of problems in that he had one henchman who he called Blackie and that was it and it's like that is you know I think in it, at Netflix now they've actually taken him calling him that out I think because I remember it happening quite a lot when I watched it um before and I was like Oof, and I had to look it up and it was like that He's what he called, he just had this one black dude that hung out with him all the time. So I was like, okay, I see now why. But like when we watch shows and there's just, they're all white people, that now when I see that is more of a bother because I'm just like, I can't see why. You know, there's the argument of, oh, they just happen to not be anyone of colour apply. And it's like,
1: really? Really? Not a single
0: (laughs) one? Not even just one. There wasn't a, you're saying that really? Okay. But so- in the representation art question, that is basically I didn't even notice. So That's good. That's awesome. So, which, is, which is good. It's, if, if most people can read it and there's representation, you know, if I it's like when the whole Rose Tuco thing in Star Wars, you know, a lot of people were complaining about her character. I wasn't overly a fan of the character. I like but Rose. But, but yeah. she was alright. She's just a bit of a wet blanket. I just thought some of her dialogue was a bit crap. But I don't blame that on the character. I blame that Ryan Johnson. But in-universe, she has a bit of crap dialogue. But I don't A lot of people are like going on, oh my God, they're being so woke. Why do they have to have this? And it's like, but you don't understand. You have a character who's quite well-grounded, has very good values, and she is Asian. That level of representation, people just... I, as a white guy, I, until doing podcasting and stuff maybe a bit before podcasting but in recent decade of my life i didn't realize how important representation was because i am a white man in america right. in england i literally can go in any piece of media there is in existence and find some vague role model who is a white dude like i'm not the person who needs role models i've got enough but when you have it where you don't have the representation yeah all us whiteies don't notice but is the is the people who it would matter too is the important thing you know having someone like Rose Tukor can be really important for young Asian girls who don't see Asian characters in Star Wars very much that's why Lander was quite a big important character yeah. because you know he I, I used to joke when I was younger of the one black guy per trilogy because it was one of those things but as I've gotten older I'm like I made jokes about it because when I was you know like 12 the representation stuff was moving more towards more it was moving in a better way so when there weren't black people I would notice so for me when I was watching I was like there's that one black guy in star wars whereas now it's like no no that was a big thing in in the 70s and 80s like him being there was so important for so many different reasons and it's just like me as a little kid joking about it is quite insensitive so I think that with the, with the representation thing, it's good. I'm glad it's in there. I didn't notice. Um, but with uh, the artwork and stuff, this is some of my favourite artwork in comics, if I'm being completely honest. I, I think, I mean, the colors amazing. The facial expressions are great. And it it feels qu- it feels really realistic. But also, all of the characters, even background characters, you can really easy, easily differentiate between them. And I think yeah. that's quite a big, important thing. And there's just certain little er- times where they don't necessarily need to say stuff, but it's just their facial expressions are done really well. And one of the reasons, like, it's not just the characters, but it's also, like, the attire, what they're wearing. Like, when you mentioned oh, the yeah. pebbles, like, she's wearing, like, the standard like, like, I've got nieces, okay? You know, and I'm quite alternative and stuff. No, You can't normally tell when I'm doing podcasts and stuff because I wear pajamas a lot. But, like, I'm quite alternative. You know, I like heavy metal and all that sort of stuff. I used to hang around with the kids who always wore black and I was one of them. And it's just, like, when you hang around in that crowd and the punk crowd as well and that sort of thing. You notice when people aren't like that, in a sense. And seeing what Peppers is wearing, she's wearing alternative stuff. She's wearing yeah. things that would be associated with, uh, if she was a modern day kid, like she would probably be really into like a lot of punk. She'd probably love the Sex Pistols, even though she's a bit too young for that, but she would love them anyway because they're punk, blah, blah. She's got a
1: Nick man shirt on, like exactly. Nick Cave in the past, genius. Yeah, It's yeah, yeah. those sort of exact uh,
0: relevant, <laughs> and, and those things. And you see it, the way she talks to people and you picked it up earlier, which was just that whole, you know, the, the way uh, it would be described almost like too cool for school in a sense. Like she knows uh, above her age and she probably thinks she's a bit too cool for it. But because Pebbles is a grounded character and is quite a nice character, which is surprising for someone who can seem that way. She's a very nice character. And as you say, she's uh, the voice of reason. But like every panel she's in, her body language is saying something every time she's with bam bam or anything like that like you could remove all the dialogue from this easily and probably get the gist excluding the social commentary of the majority of the stories because the characters are drawn so well and all the flashbacks they do the thing where they remove they remove the saturation so it's like it's not quite black and white but it's more like sepia Mm -hmm. and it's little things like that that i think just make it so you don't have to focus too much when it's in and out of flashbacks Every area that they're in, whether they're in the school or the the science place or anything like that, it always very visually looks different. I just think it must have taken absolutely ages to draw all these things. Like it doesn't seem like there's any copy and pasted stuff. If you know what I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. There are certain comics like there's the thing with mario or the uh, well, knows D- disney's one of the big ones where you watch like a disney like jungle book i think and then you watch like aristocrats and like 20 percent of the footage is the same they've just yeah. parts of it which is fine i understand why they did that
1: because that was all they were all trying by hand back then exactly yeah, so right. it's
0: like such a big i understand why they did it you know it saves time and all that sort of jazz it makes sense but it's like with this it doesn't really feel like steve pugh did that at all it feels like every panel was bespoke and even the paneling itself, like, it's not the standard, you know, Killing Joke is a good way to reference, like, standard. Relatively speaking, every panel is a small panel of the same, you know, kind of like Dark Knight Returns is like that as well. And then you get other ones, like, which are just generally, you know, square panels. They fit in where they go. Whereas this one, just scrolling, there's no, even two pages, really, that seem the same. And what, I think, what I think it is, is that he does the thing where he hasn't got a set template of how to do pages. It's just as the story needs it is however big and small they go, which sounds like an obvious thing in comics, but there are a lot of comics I read, especially some Star Wars ones that just feel like these panels are here for the sake of being there because that was the template and they need to fill it. But these ones, I just, I think it would still be good if there was a different artist, but I just think that it would be hard to argue and get art better than this for the way it is. It's realistic enough while still being silly and cartoony, but it's not so cartoony that it takes away the human side of things, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I do. It's great. Like, it, it's got the... Right- yeah, Chris Chuckery is the is the uh, colorist. He yes. is stunning. It is. Because, yeah. again, because there's, like you're saying, the the layer, the layers of it, and the, the fact that sometimes the background goes on forever. Mm. And so, not only did Steve have to draw a perspective, but then Chris had to go in there and make that seem further away with the color somehow to like make it darker back there. It's It's not. It is.
0: It's just incredible. And I just think this is such a dream to read. As I said, the first three uh, issues, they were, it was a bit of a slow burn and I was like, I don't quite get why this is like why Tony was so excited about this. And then you hit issue four and you're just like, as you said, just, Oh fuck. And then for issue four, five and six are just incredible. And it's like, it's an amazing film almost where it's like, you know, some of the best films for the first half an hour, 45 minutes, you are just like, why was everyone going gone on about this so much? And then some one thing happens, you're like, oh, I kind of get it. And by the end, you're like, holy crap. I, as I said, I just want to keep reading more and I probably will end <laughs> up reading yeah, the yeah. other six yeah. at some point. But yeah, I, I think the artwork for this in both the colour side and also the actual drawings themselves are done so well and they're so recognisable, the characters of the Flintstones, they're recognisable but they're updated. And that's what you have to do. You have to nod to the originals while still doing a fresh take to make it work because there's one variant cover because you right at the end. Cause I'm looking at the trade paper back on hoopla and stuff. There's, there's a bit right at the end uh, where there's a variant that you see all the variant covers. And one of them is them taking a selfie, uh, Fred and Wilma taking a selfie and in the camera lens, it's got the old school versions of them. I loved that. And I, I just really, it's that sort of thing. I yeah. really, really like that.
1: Yeah. For years. And actually on my DCN on our Slack channel at DCN, my, my, My um, avatar is still this cover, the main cover, the Mm. new cover with Fred with the bowling ball. And until I switched over, because I had my banner on Twitter was the one you made me for a while. I have the Tricycle Boombox one right now up there. But I had, but until you made me that one, I'd say for my first three years I was on Twitter, this was what I had was this cover with just the three of them. Pebbles holding that, um, the cannibalism ideal. Yeah. the book that she's reading. It's, and it's one of those things where this book is, I, I've i read it, I, I don't know. Rereading it for this is maybe this eighth time I've read, I've read it. I, And every time there's something else and I like laugh out loud, funny. It is, it's hard to do. It's hard to go back. There's a hand, like there's a few movies that I can go, Uncle Buck is, I'm going to compare this to Uncle Buck, even though they're not remotely the same thing. Uncle Buck is one of the few movies that every time I watch it, I laugh. Every time, even though I know when the joke is going to come. I know when the bowling ball is going to hit him on the head. That is like John, when he goes in. Have you ever seen Uncle Buck? No. You need to go see Uncle Buck. There's I'll send you a clip later of just one line. One scene It's kind of like this, where there's a scene in Uncle Buck where he's having this like meltdown in front of his niece's principal. And i laugh like going to start laughing, thinking about it. It's so good. It's like John Candy at his best. This is that. It's that good that every time I read it, even though I know every beat, I laugh at something different. I find a new pun in the back. I find like you mentioned that Hugh's facial expressions. sometimes the background characters, facial expressions are the set. Cause you're looking at Fred or you're looking at Barney or you're looking at, you know, um, you know, like Wilma's art, spend time just looking at Wilma's art. And I think mm. what's cool about looking at it on Hoopla is when uh, digitally is when you can zoom in, yes. look at the extra layers of work and the stuff that's going on in the background. And it is, it is insane. The detail, I, I assume that Steve and Steve will tag you on this and maybe he'll tell us, maybe Steve is listening, but I assume he did these on big, each panel is on a big, like 11 by 17 piece of paper, like big, big boards. Cause I don't know how else you get all this in there.
0: Yeah. The detail is insane. And I'm, I'm i very much like detail in comics. Uh, like there's certain comics you read in there, simplistic and cartoony style. I don't like that as much. I'm much more of a detail guy. Same with tattoos. All my tattoos are like really specifically detailed. They need to be photorealistic with shading, colors and details and things. That's what really hits home with me. And <clears throat> for this one as well, I would say is on the second read, when I went through it, you know, as you say, there's so many things in the background, so many cool visual things. And it's like, there's, there's another small thing, which is just like, I, I even wrote down like a big list of them of just all the names of the shops. Like whenever they're in the mall, if you, there's in the oh mall- like at the start, you see that the the quarry uh, and there will bedrock, uh, and then they go in the mall once or twice, and they reference things like, "Oh, uh, what was it?" They don't have targets; they have tar it Just things like that. Like that's just fun. It, it's silly little fun things. I, I almost feel like Mark he wrote the script and he went through it. And I don't think he did this because I think he's just a genius, but I think that he went through it and did the script and then he went through it again. And then how many puns can I add in here for things to still make sense? Because there's so many. And I feel like Steve Pugh probably did something the same in the background because it's just like, oh, here's all the background we need. Why don't we add more flavor? Let's call this something silly. You know, the Star Bricks, which is a fairly obvious one bricks, hanging fruit. Yeah. But there's so many other ones that are just fun. And I just think, you know, well, I was going to say my final review of this, but I'll...
1: No, say yeah. it. No, because I actually... I may have to cut it, or I may just leave this talking about this because I'm I'm recording this in the as a storm, is a tropical storm is passing by, and you started to lag towards the end just recently. So I know that means the wind is picking up, so we should get to the end. So let's go to okay. that. So because we've got a That's lot. Cool. So I, I'm excited yeah. that the internet didn't cut out. So who final review? Who who should read this book besides humans?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, genuinely speaking, I I think this is probably. This is probably the the mark russell comic that has the widest amount of people who'd enjoy it you know i think second coming is still his best i think second coming is one of the best comics ever written written written. but i think that with second coming certain people aren't interested in religion or don't have a knowledge of religion or things it wouldn't hit home with them in the same way i think this comic regardless of what you're looking for in a comic if you're looking for some action it's got a bit of that in it if you are looking for social commentary it's got that it's got enough of relatively anything a comic book reader would want to be able to appeal to anyone. I think that the best people to read this would probably almost be people around Pebble's age. I think that teenagers, either who are too cool for school or the the older, the upper end of, you know, coming out of being a teenager, you know, young adult, I think they would really benefit from this because I think they would... They would read this and kind of do what I did, which is be like, oh, I get that. I get why that's funny. And when, you know, people like feeling like they're smart, including myself. I like feeling like I'm smart. Sure, I don't, so like, do I. I don't yeah. like people telling me I'm smart because I feel it's disingenuous and they they don't know me well enough because I'm really an idiot. But when I actually consume things and I feel like I've like, oh yeah, I, I get, oh, there's that reference from a few issues ago. Oh, I'm so smart for getting that, even though, you know, the person wrote it. Um, so I think that young adults, are uh, like if you have kids and you want them to get in the comics this might be a quite a good way if they are a bit resistant but like kind of ranking it with the other ones you know if i stopped at issue three i would have probably said this was my least favorite however i would actually think i think i enjoy this more than billionaire island so nothing's probably ever going to reach second coming apart from maybe the second volume of that. It's just which is
1: which is really good. The second volume's really great. Which
0: I'm not reading any of it. I want it for all yeah. to come out. And then because yeah, yeah. I, I won't be I can't do what you do if, like once. Like even with yeah, Star Wars comics. It's tough. Cars. It's hard. When yeah. I get Star Wars comics, a lot of the time I'm like, I don't I'm gonna wait until I have like three and I can read them all kind of together. Um but yeah, it's I I genuinely think second coming is the crown jewel, the Mount Olympus, but this really surprised me. It it genuinely, it it was so fun and rereading it the second time through, when you know what the vague plot's going to be, you can look at those little details and that really works. So for the Mark Russell reviews, I think second coming at the top, then volume one of the Flintstones, then Billionaire Island, and then Lone Ranger. I think pacing wise with this and Lone Ranger, they're both that kind of thing where they don't, The first issue isn't where it shines, whereas I think the second coming, from the get-go, it's like, boom. And and Billionaire Island's quite a lot like that as well. But I think when Mark has to tackle uh, uh, pre-existing characters and franchises and properties, he has to lay the groundwork first to immerse you in the world. And I think that if anyone is going to read this, push through if you're struggling on the second or third issue, because, yeah, the fourth and fifth issues are... Some of my favorite comics, I think, as like one-shot comics. I think if I'd have done Scott Weatherly, 20th Century Geek, if I'd have done his Desert Island Discs and not done it on Star Wars, I think that the fourth issue of this might be one of my favorite standalone comics.
1: It is really great. Now I regret not using it when I did mine, but it was tough. He only gives you three because he's a a son of a bitch, you, Scott Weatherly. Um, Actually, it's funny. The cover, on the cover of this... Um, Wired Magazine, which isn't like, they don't do comic books. That's not what they do, but there's a review from Wired Magazine on the cover and it says the best thing on stands you are not reading. That's what's on the cover of it. The- and that so made Wired- me laugh
0: on, went on the reread as well because I was like, he, they got me.
1: <laughs> it's totally true. I know. So it's so good. Um, everyone should get this. That's who I recommend it to is humans. If you like a laugh, if you like to think, if you love good art, Steve Pugas he, um He did uh, uh, the... Mariko Tamaki and he did uh, the Harley Quinn breaking glass, which was like a, a YA re- interpretation of Harley and Poison Ivy. He's amazing. He's just, there's nothing. So, you know, he's, he will take these characters that you think are familiar that you think you understand. And then you put them in Steve's hand and he's like, Oh, you recognize that's young Harley Quinn. You recognize that's young Poison Ivy, but watch this. And you're just like, Poof. it's a whole new thing. And, and he's, he's just something he's really, he's special.
0: Yeah. I, I really say to people, like, genuinely, if you're like me and you're thinking, I'm not sure, because I don't, bluntly, if you're thinking, I give a shit about Flintstones, good, read this. Because I, I, I was actually going to today, but today's been really busy. I was genuinely going to go back and watch some old Flintstone cartoons to see how it compared to this, just for the fun of it. That mm-hmm. I like, have I watched Flintstones in over a decade, probably more than that. Yeah. Like, but this is one of those things where exactly is why I'd said. I imagine most people listening to this probably haven't read it. I, I really, really recommend you check this out. Like, you have it, to, yeah. It surprised me far more than I thought it would. Genuine. I was just like, "Vincent Comics, what what exactly could that add? What could that offer? What would I want? But I trust Tony and Mark Russell. It, it really, it, I was surprised, Genuine. That's
1: awesome. That's great. And I think everybody, so hopefully more people who haven't read it will go read it. Um, you don't have to have read it before you hear us talk about it, like you said, but now that you've heard us, we haven't spoiled too much. Because again, it is it is an interconnect story. There's six more stories that follow this. But they, but again, five, five, four by itself is a standalone five. They all, it, he does really need connective tissue. But again, you can pick up each individual one and get a, a total story. So again, it's, it's fitting that old cartoon vibe where it's like each individual cartoon, you could just watch the one cartoon and you never see it again out of context. You could watch it. But if you watched them all in a row, you're like, oh, there is a story. Like this one is referencing, you know, four episodes ago. So it's, so he's also playing in that Hanna-Barbera playground. So. Well, friends. We,
0: we didn't even talk about the finale either. We, I don't want to now. That's not the opening. No. But like to clarify to people listening, like we ha- we genuinely have only talked about like 20%, if that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. story-wise, even less. So yeah. seriously go it's check it so out.
1: So good. Everybody should just go read it. So um, why don't we tell everybody how the busiest man in podcasting is keeping himself lately and how people can find you all around.
0: Well, I don't know how Stevie J. Ray is doing, but uh, <laughs> I'm okay. uh, uh. Uh, I am quite busy. I'm At the moment, I'm very, very busy. Yeah. I've got at least a podcast a week and I'm guesting on loads of shows. So um, best place to keep up with me is at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Um, fortunately, I chose a really unique name. So if you type that in, it should all come up. If you even Google me now, uh, or Google Genuine Chit Chat, my website comes up. You have a WordPress. Uh, I, know. I know. I've had it since the start, actually. I've just, I, I'm slowly bit by bit adding to it. I recently redid my YouTube page. Uh, I'm getting subscribed to attached all these random podcast apps I've never heard of and things that I wasn't a part of before which I am now like Ghana so if people in India can listen to me Comics and motion was already on there so screw you guys but <laughs> that's all Chris um, and Dave I have nothing to do with Dave that didn't yeah. realize. Dave didn't even realise Dave didn't realise he I think Dave didn't realise he did and I spoke and he was like, oh no I must have done ages ago but still um, <laughs> <laughs> at, at Genuine Chit Chat is where you can find all of my uh, stuff I've got my Styles Comics and Canon show every uh, Saturday on the feed of Comics and Motion. if you are a YouTube fiend and you only want to consume YouTube content then go to Genuine Chit Chat on YouTube where there's all my episodes of Genuine Chit Chat all my episodes of Star Wars comics and canon are all in nice little playlists now, as well, and everything. I've redone that. My YouTube header looks good, so I'm slowly redoing everything. WordPress is the last place. Uh, WordPress is all of my standard, genuine chit chat stuff, and it has like one extra page that vaguely talks about comics and canon and stuff. So, social media is generally the best place to find me because I post for both shows under the banner of genuine chit chat, and um, that's that's pretty much it. I could ramble yeah. on for ages, but just look around if comics in motion, I'm going to be popping up a loads around here. So yeah. when- you've got book club
1: it, that already happened, even though we were talking, we're talking about
0: it. Yeah. You,
1: you heard that book club was awesome. A new book club. This is recording and we're going to do mouse. I'm going to be on the mouse one. You'll be there. Dave, hopefully we'll get a few other people mouse. So good. Um, so we got stuff. So you can follow me at Tricycle Box. Um, And uh, that's cool. You can go there. Or if you're like Twitter, not my thing, I've got a website, arfarina.com. I've actually started posting, I started my blog up there. So I'm posting some mini reviews. Uh, I've got a couple up there now, uh, mostly books and comics that I read. um, Just because sometimes I just want to, I'm just stealing from my friend Jack, where you just like post a quick mini review. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally. I even (laughs) talked. I talked to him first, and I was like, "Dude, I want to start doing this because I love what he does. Because it's like sometimes it's fifty words, or sometimes it's five hundred words, and there's no it's free form. I read something, I want to share share it with other nerds um, and get the word out there. So I've, I've stolen from Jack, um, and of course, my other show on Comics in Motion is uh, the Season's Greetings with Jack, where we go. We're doing Buffy right now, and by the time this comes out, we're almost ready to air our season seven roundup, and then we're going to move on to next season's season's greetings and we're going to do angel and we're calling that one investigating angel to play on angels investigates and our good friend tanya is already coming on because she is still in love with angel amazing that may just be a whole episode of her just talking about how hot angel is because she when she came on episode five she was like i think she brought it up three times and angel's even not on season five but she somehow <laughs> talks about Angel. Not but he's, in, he's in one episode. Need. He's in one episode of season i I'm, so. I'm more of a team spike for me.
0: That's me. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Jack too. Jack's team spike, for sure. Yeah. Um, I will
0: say that with Buffy and Angel, I just want to clarify, I haven't listened to many of your, I listened to the first same? couple of Buffy, yeah. but no, I got Megan into Buffy. So she's now on series three now so I'm waiting for her to finish the season then, then I, you guys I listen, listen to your review yeah. of the one after and then I cherry pick all the best episodes that you guys mentioned I see that have got the highest ratings online and then I get Megan to watch the whole season and I just dip in all the, all the nice. best ones that I remember um, but Angel I'm gonna listen to all them because I only watched like one season of Angel and was not a fan it gets honest. better it I is. was quite young I, I was like
1: it's 12, more grown, grown up. Angel's
0: when I was all, An- all of Buffy, I was like 12 or 13. So yeah,
1: Angel's, Angel is for a different audience for sure. So we're going to do that. And then I think we're going to cleanse our palate and do Spaced, the whole series oh, of Space. Love Spaced. Like, and then from there, we don't know we, whether we're going to do Fringe. Uh, we've talked about doing Fringe. We've talked about doing Sliders. So we don't know, but we're going to keep keep on keeping on. So you can follow us there. Uh, the new Pop Gorillas are on. Some have been added onto your show. So mm. we'll try to rope you in to start doing some Pop Gorillas if you want to. Uh, Um, yeah so so follow all that stuff and um i'm gonna play a little clip of because i can't play whole songs anymore but um postmodern jukebox whom you've and i've talked about the world's greatest cover band has done a swing version of the flintstones theme song so here it is part of it anyway see everybody next time thanks mike thanks